Jesus' precious holy name, amen. <clears throat> we're going to start out in the 8th chapter, and then we're going to kind of backtrack back to the 7th chapter if you're, if you're not there. And I'm going to, um, <clears throat> I know that these scriptures, some of these scriptures I'm going to talk about this morning, we're very familiar with, but that's okay. We need to be familiar with a lot of the scriptures in the Bible, because the more familiar with you are the scripture, the easier that it is for us to understand certain things that we face. And we have a scripture that we can claim when we're going through something or have a better understanding of uh, life itself. So we're going to start there in 8th chapter in the first verse. And those of you who want to know what this is titled, it's called There Is No Condemnation. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Romans 8, the first chapter says, <clears throat> now I'm going to be using the New Living Translation in case you're wondering why my verses are a little different than yours. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Like I said, these are familiar scriptures to us, and probably most of us could even quote them. But do we believe these verses? We say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we still have a problem with condemnation. Because we don't understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. Now, conviction, God uses con uh, conviction to deal with us. When we have something going on in our life, God shines a light into our lives. Maybe it's into our behavior. Maybe it's something that we've said. Maybe it's something we've done. God does that. He shines a light in, into our lives. And he says, I don't want you to do this anymore. This is not something you should be doing. Now, when God shines that light in our heart, and we understand that it's God that's doing it, and we know, we realize, oh, yes, I evaluate my heart, God. Let, let, let me see why. And, and after we know that God is the one that has shined that light in our heart, then we need to repent of that. We need to say, God, forgive me of that, and help me, Lord, not to do it anymore. But once we've done that, then condemnation comes in, and it keeps reminding us. It builds up into our heart and in our soul, and every time we think about something, we say, oh, yeah, if you was a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. If you was a Christian, you wouldn't have done this. And that's what condemnation is. Condemnation is something that we relive over and over and over again in our minds that's under the blood. And we keep yanking it out from under the blood and start waving it like a flag and say, oh, I'm no good, I'm rotten, and all these other kind of things. When Jesus says, hey, it's under the blood. I, can, I showed you that. I showed you that thing in your life so you could get rid of it, so you could change whatever it is that you're doing. That's what God wants us to do. Then we're convicted. But once we repent of it, it's gone. It's over with. We don't have to sit there and nurse it. We don't have to confess it every single day, unless we reduce something, of course. But generally speaking, but we don't do that. We keep bringing it out. We kept rehashing it. You know, you're right. If I wasn't a Christian, I wouldn't have done that in the first place. I wouldn't need God to tell me it was wrong. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't have needed that. And so we just sit there and we beat ourselves down and we condemn ourselves over and over and over again about something that's under the blood. Now, John, the third chapter, in the 17th verses, verse, this is, these are words you're familiar with. So it says, it talks about, you know, we're all familiar with John 3, 16, for God sent his son into the world that all the world that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that scripture, but this is the scripture that follows right behind it. And it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the darkness, and men love darkness rather than light, 
because their deeds were evil. See, Jesus tells us he didn't come to this world just to condemn us. That isn't why he came. He came to save us. And once he saves us, the condemnation is gone. But there's a world out there that is under condemnation, and thus, before we accept Christ as our Savior, we're under condemnation. And what is the condemnation we're under? Because we said something we shouldn't have said last week? We're under condemnation because we refuse to accept the light, and that light is Jesus Christ. So anyone that hasn't accepted Christ as their Savior, they're the ones that are under condemnation. We as Christians are not under condemnation anymore because he came that we will not be condemned. He came so that we could be saved. And we don't have to rehash anything else because we're walking in the light. The people that are in darkness don't want to be in the light because then people will know what they've been doing. There's some things in my life I'm not proud of. And I only want God to shine his light into those issues in my life. I don't want anyone else to. But man, in general, they want, they want to live in the darkness because if they're in the darkness, then everything that they do is okay. And that's the condemnation that they're going to be under. And everyone that hasn't accepted Christ as their Savior, they're condemned already because they would rather live in darkness than live in light. They'd rather hang on to their sin, they'd rather hang on to everything in their life than serve God. That's the reality of it. And that's the condemnation, that they've refused the light. Not that I said a bad word last week. If I'm in darkness, I'm more inclined to, to say those things. And I'm, if I'm in darkness, I'm going to act and live in darkness because I don't know any better. People that, that have lived in darkness all their life, they adapt their eyes and their eyesight to the darkness. There's animals that, that are predators at night. They can see really well at night because that's where they function in. And they don't want anybody to see them. They sneak up on their prey in the darkness. Well, that's what the world is at now. They're in darkness. And they can't see anything in the light. And they don't want to come to the light because it hurts their eyes. They don't want to come to the light because it hurts their sin. Oh, no, I can't come to there because the closer I get to this, then they're going to see. They're going to see what I'm doing, what I'm doing, and I shouldn't be doing it. I know I shouldn't be doing it, so I'm just going to stay away from that light. But God doesn't want to condemn us. He says, come to me. I don't, didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. Now, we know that Paul wrote the book of Romans. And we, Paul is somebody that we just hold in such high esteem. Oh, man, that guy is so great. Oh, we pray, God, let me be another Paul. Let me be like Paul. Man, he was such a powerful apostle. Man, he witnessed to kings and emperors, and he started all these churches, and he did all these other kind of things in his life. Oh, God, let me be a Paul. And we put him up on such a high pedestal, don't we? He's on such a high pedestal. And we should respect Paul, and we should, should thank God for Paul. We thank God that there was a Paul. We thank God that, that there's disciples, and, and we thank God for everyone that has wrote a book in his Bible. I'm thankful for all of them, but we can't put them up on a pedestal because then we're, they're blocking our view of who we're supposed to worship, and that's God. Don't put me up on any pedestal or you're going to be disappointed because I'm human just like you. And I failed just like everyone here this morning. And the closer you're going to get to me, the more you're going to see those imperfections in my life. And I hope it doesn't disappoint you. I want to get to know each one of you personally so you do know me and you can see that I'm human and I have the same kind of things going on in my life that you have going on in your life. But when you see those things, if I'm on a pedestal, man, I'm going to fall off that pedestal. And if we let people up on a pedestal and they disappoint us and they fail, then what's going to happen to us? We're going to fail. 
Because our hope is in something that's saying, well, man, man, if they failed, I don't have any hope. But we realize we're all in the same boat. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross. There's no one that gets to stand up on, on a higher plane at the cross than we do. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all saved the same way. There's not a person in here gets saved differently than I did. So we need to understand that. And Paul understand, understood that too. Now Romans, the seventh chapter, go back to the next, last chapter, <clears throat> and in verse 14. And these are Paul's words. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For what I, what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing it. It is the sin living within me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I, do, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, want to do what, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Does that sound like anybody here this morning? Wow, that's all right, amen. Everybody, I should have amens all over this place. Because that's me. Man, I want to do nothing but good. I want to do all these other kind of things. I have the best intentions, and what happens? Man, I turn around, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. And I think, man, what's the matter with me? Man, I don't, I don't understand this. But see, we don't, we've got to remember that this was written by Paul after he became a Christian. This wasn't written before he was saved. If, we, if this was before he was saved, we could understand that. So, okay, that's why he wasn't a Christian. But this was written after he was a Christian. And this was, book of Romans was written to Christians. So it's written to me. And Paul's saying, hey, man, I'm struggling just the same as you are. And then I start understanding that there's what Paul's trying to get across. Because, see, he wrote chapter 7 before he wrote chapter 8 about the condemnation. He's telling us and letting us peek inside of his life and what's going on in his own battle within his life. And he's letting us see him as who he is. A man, just a common everyday human being, just like every one of us is here today. And no matter how great he was, no matter what wonderful things he did for God, he still had the same struggles that we have today. And that makes me feel better about myself. So chapter 7 he talks, before chapter 7, he talks about in Romans 3.10, the scripture said, no one is righteous, not even one. There's not a person in this world that is righteous. No one. So every person that you meet isn't righteous. I don't care how good they are. I don't care what they do. I don't care whether they're pastor of a church. I don't care what they are. They're no right. There's no one that's righteous. Not anyone is. If there was, then Jesus didn't need to come. And then in, in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short. All of us are sinners. There's no one that among us this morning that wasn't a sinner, that hasn't sinned. If there are, better look out because somebody's going to come kill you. There's only one perfect man that without sin, and that was Jesus. And they didn't like him. So if people like me, it's not because I have sin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And then in, in chapter, uh, excuse me, back to chapter 7, in verse 22, it says, <clears throat> I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this, from this life that is dominated by sin? Society's way of dealing with sin 
what we call sin. They, don't, they call it something else. It sounds a little better. But society's way of dealing with sin is by legalizing it. Isn't it? They say, oh, that isn't the problem with the sin. The problem is with the law. So we just change the law. So then if it is you're not breaking the law, then it's not sin, right? That's the way the society thinks. But that isn't what God thinks. God, we need the law because we need to see how far that we've, how many laws that we've transgressed so we can understand that we need to be saved. The hardest thing about getting people to, to get saved is getting them lost. They have to realize that they have a need for Christ. They have to realize that they have sinned and they come short of the glory of God. They under, need to understand that. If they don't, then their opinion is that the law's bad. God doesn't legalize the law at all. God doesn't change the law either. He changes us. And that's what we want. I want to be changed. Uh, he, can't, he can't change the law because the law is good. Without the law, then we'll never know that we broke the law. And if we never know that we broke the law, then we'll never be able to come to Christ. Because what are we going to say? I'm a sinner? Well, I'm not a sinner. I didn't break any laws. And a sin is something that goes against God's law. So we have to know what God's law is. And then when we break God's law, then that conviction comes in and says, oh, that's something you need to confess. And then we confess it. And then we say, God, I'm going to try my best not to do it again. I'm going to do everything I can not to do that again. But sometimes we do. No matter our best intentions that we have, and we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I've turned around. Next thing we know, we've done it again. Haven't we? There's some things that has a hold on us that, that we just have a hard time getting, getting it out of our life. And so we just struggle with something. But then we come back and we confess it again. But see, if we don't, then we come under condemnation. Because the, de the devil comes to you and says, hey, you know what? If you was a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. You confessed that, but look at you over here. You confessed over there. And look over here, you're still doing it. And we condemn ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, he's right. I shouldn't have done that. And I did it again. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not a Christian at all. Maybe I'm just... Just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm not a Christian. If I was a Christian, I wouldn't be doing that. Condemnation. But Jesus doesn't condemn us because he knows we're human. Paul was human. And I love Paul because he put this in the Bible for me. He put it there just for me. If you get something out of it, good, I'm glad. But he put it there for me. So I can quit condemning myself when I fail and when I make a mistake or I, make a, or I sin because making a mistake is a sin, right? by God's law and by God's standards. But no matter how hard we try, we're going to fail. And it's not if we fail, it's when we fail. Because we're not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect till Jesus comes and he changes me from the inside till he gets rid of this nature that I have that I struggle with since I become a Christian. And I long for that day. I look forward to heaven more, you know, with all the things that are there, the gold streets and all the stuff I get to eat and all that kind of stuff. I, I look forward to that. But the thing I look forward to most in heaven is being changed. So this battle, this struggle that I have going on inside me every single day of my life, that I don't have to deal with anymore. Because he's going to get that, that nature out of me completely. And he's going to give me his nature. And it won't be a struggle anymore. But until then, I'm going to have to struggle. It's going to be a fight. And it's going to be a fight. It's war. And that carnal nature within us fights against that spiritual nature within us. And the only way we're going to win is by we feed the one we want to be the strongest. That's the way you do it. You want to kill, you want to starve something to death, it'll die. And that's the only way we're going to do it. 
And so we need to get God, more of God in our lives. That's how we combat these things. And I found that the closer I get to God, the less some of these other things matter. And these things that used to be a problem for me, the closer I get to God, they're not a problem anymore. I'm not tempted to smoke a cigarette anymore. I was. I used to be tempted. But since God took that away from me, I'm not worried about that no more. Matter of fact, he not only took it away from me, he, he gave me a sensitive nose that it's hard for me to even, even be around it. <laughs> Walk into my, or my father-in-law's house, and he hasn't smoked for probably 15 years. He hasn't smoked. But you walk in that house and it sounds, smells like he just lit one up. <laughs> because, you know, that stuff, it gets into everything. But I'm not, I'm not tempted. It's, it's more or less, you know, and that's what God does with us. He makes those things in our life that we used to want to do so much, we don't want to do them anymore. But we can only do that by winning victory in him. Uh, 20, verse 24 in, in chapter 7. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God that the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. <clears throat> See, all that stuff and all that struggle that we have that Paul talks about, then he comes to the, the scripture. There's no condemnation. Even though I've struggled, even though I've failed time and time and time again, he says, there is no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? See, that's, that's the kicker. See, we always want to claim the promise without claiming the, the prerequisite for the promise. We love claiming those promises, don't we? Oh, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, and every line. Right? But we don't like the ifs in the Bible. We have a no-if doctrine. I don't like the ifs. If you are in Christ, then there's no condemnation. If you're not in Christ, then guess what? There is condemnation. There is condemnation if we're not in Christ. So we have to make sure we fulfill the, the prerequisite before we can claim the promise. And usually we fail when we're trying to live for God because we're trying to do it in our own strength. You know, I'm tough. I'm a Christian now. I don't need to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. I'm a Christian. But we, we try to do things in our own strength. And when we try to do things in our own strength, that's when we fail. I mean, if I tried to get up here on Sunday morning and try to preach a sermon or try to do anything in my own strength, I guarantee you, you would not want to be here. You would not. <laughs> because I can't do it. I cannot do it. I'd have to sit up here and type the whole thing out and read it like some people do. And I don't like to read, you know, everything. I do, I do read some things. <laughs> but I don't like to do that. But I want to do it in God's strength. Because then when I hear his voice speak to me about something that isn't in these notes, then I have the freedom to talk about him. Because I'm not locked into it. Then I'm not doing it in my strength. I'm doing it in his strength. And God wants us to do everything in his strength. Everything. That means if you work as a welder, if you work as quality control or whatever it is that you do for a living, you're supposed to do that in God's strength. Because if you do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. I don't care what it is. He didn't just say do all your Christian duties in his strength. He said do all things in his strength. Walk in his spirit. 
Walk in his spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When do we have the most time that we are, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, associated, or the, the lust of the flesh, where does it come at? up at? It doesn't come up usually in church. I hope not. <clears throat> it comes up in the workplace, doesn't it? There's more of that in the workplace than there is in church. I hope there is. <laughs> anyway, I'd hate to think that that kind of stuff goes on in the church. It's not going to go on in this church if I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> I guarantee it. But he wants us to walk in his strength because when we do, then we're on the job. Then we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I need that strength so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh at work or at the grocery store or wherever it is that I might be. I don't want to just walk in the spirit in church. It's easy to walk in the spirit in church, isn't it? Man, man, you can sing praises and you can get excited. You can shout hallelujah. And you can shout hallelujah in his church. It's okay. <laughs> you can do that. Nobody will throw you out. Matter of fact, you might start a revival, so go ahead. <laughs> and we need a revival, and I pray for a revival every day. God, send a mighty revival, but let it start here. And every one of you should be praying, send a revival, and let it start here in your hearts, too. Because we need a revival in America, because that's what's going to change. It isn't going to be me legislating laws doesn't matter what the laws are, because if people aren't going to do something, it won't matter. I don't need a law against um, certain things, because I don't want to do it. So it doesn't matter. You can have as many as you want to legislate that stuff. You can't legislate righteousness. The only thing that makes people righteous is Christ living within them. That's the only thing that works. And that's why it's important for us to lift up Christ, so they don't see a bunch of legalism and they don't see a bunch of rules and regulations Oh, I don't want to go to church because all they got is a bunch of rules and regulations over there, and all they want is my money. How many times do you hear that? <clears throat> but you don't have to have any rules and regulations when you're serving God because he tells you individually what he wants you to do or what you don't want to do. And if there's any gray areas, I guarantee it, after you've done it, you'll know. <laughs> there's not as much gray area in the Christian walk the closer you get to God. Them gray colors, all of a sudden, they start turning more black and white the closer you get to God. So if you're trying to figure out all these gray areas, get closer to God, and he'll give it to you. He'll let you read it, and you won't have as much problem with it. So that's what we need to do. <clears throat> and when we fail, it's because we do it, try to do it in our own strength. But the promise of God's grace is that even when we fail, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I like that. Even when I fail, I don't like to fail. I hate failing worse than anything there is. I don't know about you, but I hate it. And so I do everything I can. I work harder at something. I try to do something because I don't want to fail. But sometimes, no matter what I do, I still fail. And then I have to worry about God getting mad at me because I failed. I need to be worried about coming back to God and asking him to forgive me. Because there's no condemnation. See, if there is condemnation in our lives, it doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. That's where condemnation comes from. You won't find anywhere in here where God condemns us for this stuff. It's just because there's no condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus. But it comes from Satan, and he's a good devil. Man, he's been around a long time, and he knows how to get us. And he gets us a lot with condemnation. And that's his name means accuser. And that's what he does. He comes to us and he accuses us of everything that we've ever done. I don't care whether it's 20 years ago. Have you ever had something you've done 20 years ago all of a sudden come up in your mind? 
And the devil said, see, if you was a Christmas, you wasn't a Christian 20 years ago or you wouldn't have done this. Right? That's right. But we have to, at those moments when we're condemned, and the devil comes to you and says, if you wasn't a Christian, you wouldn't have done this. We say, oh, no, 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 that's under the blood. That's under the blood. And then like the old shirt, T-shirt used to say that said, next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. We need to do that. We need to remind the devil, say, hey, get out of here, Satan. That's under the blood. You have no power or authority over me because I belong to God. In the name of Jesus, get out of here and leave me alone. Start reading scripture when those things happen. Find some verses that you need that helps you at those times so you can get through that condemnation because when you're being condemned, that's a sin just as much as anything else because you're saying that God's forgiveness isn't enough for you. And we need to realize that God's forgiveness is enough for me. And i got to quit condemning myself. <clears throat> we need to quit listening to Satan. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They listened to him. And what happened after they listened to him? They knew that they had broken God's law. And what did they do? They went and hid, didn't they? Because they were ashamed. And so they went and hid. And they tried to cover up their sin. By some other means. Instead of running to God, they run away from God. And that's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to be ashamed and run and hide from God. And he wants us to cover our own sin. Instead of coming to the cross and say, God, let your blood cover this sin. That's what God wants us to do, to come and let him cover our sin. Instead of us trying to run away from God. Because that's what happens. And it isn't that we don't love God is why we turn away from God. It's because we're ashamed. And when we do things we don't want to do, I feel ashamed. I wish I hadn't done it. And I relive that moment over and over and over again in my mind and think, man, what could I have done differently? But God says, hey, confess it. Get it under the blood and then forget it. It's over with. Don't run from God. Run to God. And then when we run to God, let him forgive us of us. Let him wash us in his blood. Let him forgiveness, forgive us of everything that we've done. And then when the devil comes up and reminds us of it, say, hey, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. Power of the blood, it's gone. In God's eyes, it's gone. See, we've got to start seeing God the way God sees us. And he sees us as his sons and as his daughters. Now, most kids aren't afraid to come to their parents. when they've done, Well, they're sure they're a little bit hesitant about some things when they've done things that are wrong. They may be a little hesitant, but they still come. And God wants us to come to him because he's, like, he's our father. And he loves us. And when we come to God and, and confess what we've done, his arms are always open, ready to receive us. He doesn't say, no, 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 I've had enough of you. You've messed up six times last week, and you're only allowed four. <laughs> Forget it. That's it. Only allowed four a week, and you've your quota. Come back to me next week. <laughs> we ha God has rollover minutes. <laughs> he has a plan, and it's unlimited. <laughs> unlimited minutes we can spend with God, so it doesn't matter. What it is, we can come to God, whether it's five times, whether it's a thousand times, it doesn't matter. We need to run to God and then quit letting ourselves be condemned. <clears throat> I'm reminded of the story of a, a girl from a royal family in Europe. And man, she was just a gorgeous little girl, just gorgeous, and she, she grew up. But if you looked at this girl, she was so beautiful except for this nose that she had. And that nose was just was not very appealing and it was a big nose and it you know you couldn't help you know you've seen those things you know you try to talk to somebody and they got a pimple or something right here and you sit there you try to talk to it and you try not to look at it 
<laughs> but you're just drawn. <laughs> because <laughs> that's the way we are. We like to look at the negative in people's lives, isn't it? So no matter how beautiful this girl was or this young woman was, this nose was so distracting that she just, just focused on it. And so she knew she was ugly, and so she would hide herself, and she did all these other kind of things because she didn't want anybody to see her because she felt so ugly because she'd seen herself in a mirror. You know, I look in a mirror sometimes, and I know some days I'm ugly. <laughs> we were talking in Sunday school. Randy, Randy said to Tammy, man, you sure got all spiffed up this morning. And Tammy said, well, I had to. You should have seen me when I got up. <laughs> <clears throat> I guarantee you, I need to spiff up in the morning. <laughs> so anyway, this girl had spent her whole life looking at herself or trying not to look at herself, one of those that covers the mirrors, you know. It's like that those times when you have, you know, kind of like a fat clothes in your closet and you have the skinny clothes. And when, you got, when you're wearing the fat clothes, you avoid the mirrors. When you're in your skinny clothes, man, you're walking by. I'm looking, wow, look at that. You look pretty good there, don't you? <laughs> anyway. So because of this, in, in this thing with her nose and, and because of self-esteem, the parents said, well, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her nose fixed to build her self-esteem up. So they hire a plastic surgeon. He goes in, and he does the works, and he fixes her nose, and he takes off all the, ba- the bandages and, and all those things, and the, the scars start to heal, and he talks to her, you know, and he shows her, shows her the work because it was a complete success, and she was now a beautiful girl. And she looked at the, at the mirror, and she just started crying. And said, oh, I knew it wouldn't work. I knew it wouldn't work. Because she could only see herself the way that she was. She couldn't see herself as being beautiful. Because she spent her whole life being ugly to herself. And so she couldn't see herself beautiful. And so they had to spend some time and some energy convincing this girl that she was beautiful. That her life was different. Because until she realized and accepted that her life had changed, she's still going to live like the ugly person that she thought she was. And that's the same thing that happens with us as Christians. We see ourselves as condemned. We see ourselves as wretched. We see ourselves as failures. We see ourselves as worthless. And so we live that way. And God doesn't want us to live that way. He says, you're not under condemnation. I didn't come to condemn you. I come to save you. And start looking at yourself through my eyes. See what I see. And then we can gain more of a self-esteem in ourselves, and we can start loving ourselves because God said love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He wants us to love ourselves, and we have to. And so we need to start seeing ourselves through God's eyes. And when we see ourselves through God's eyes, then our behavior will change. Now all of a sudden, man, I'm not hiding from the mirrors, and I'm hiding, oh man, how wretched I were. We're starting, I got a spring in our step. Hey, God loves me. Oh man, God sees great things in me. God sees this wonderful future for me. I'm going to rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever. We've got to start seeing ourselves as God sees us and let him build us up from the inside because to God we're valuable. He emptied heaven to save us. All the gold in the world could not save me. All the money in the world cannot save you. The only thing that could save us was Christ coming and dying on a cross because God loves us and we're valuable to him and we need to see ourselves as valuable to him. And when we start seeing ourselves that way, our lives will change. And we don't need to be stuck under Romans chapter 7 saying how wretched I am and no matter what I do, I fail and I do these things and I do that thing. Then we'll start walking and say, yep, I sure did. I messed up over there. But it's under the blood. 
I'm saved. That's in the past. And we got to quit living in the past and start living in the present. When we live in the past, we're living under condemnation. We need to live in the present because God wants us in the present. He's in the now. We can't do anything about the past. And we can't rehash it. I don't care how many times you run that movie over and over and over again in our head. We're not going to change it. It's gone. And we got to quit being condemned over it. <clears throat> the challenge is, we know, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's in the Bible. Do we believe it? We believe it. But the challenge is not believing it when we read it. It's believing it when we live it. we got to live it. It's easy to say we believe something, but when you believe something, your actions respond to the way that you believe. I believe in electricity. So when i got appliances, I need to plug into the electricity in order for them to work. If I don't believe in electricity, I'm not going to go buy an electric blender. I'm not going to go buy an electric toaster. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? I'm going to go buy some kerosene lamps and some candles instead of light bulbs if I don't believe in electricity. But I believe in electricity, so I'm gonna, my life is, revolves around my belief in electricity. Well, our lives as Christians need to revolve around our belief in God. Is he able to do everything he says he can do in this Bible? Can he do that? Do we believe it? Romans the 8, the 35th verse says, <clears throat> Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean we, he no longer loves us? If we are, have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, as the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am conv convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell could separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, there is nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. I don't care what it is. And I'm glad that death can't separate me from God. That unites me. Amen. So I'm looking forward to that time. Of course, I'm not in a hurry to get there. Don't want to be in, a, be in a hurry to get there because God has some other things for me to do here. And I want to make sure I do them. And you can't go home till your work's done. So if you want to go home, you got to get your work done. Got certain chores God wants us to do. And then when you got them done, he'll call you home. Of course, some of us may say, well, I guess I won't do anything because I'll live forever. <laughs> Doesn't quite work that way either. So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. When we fail, if we falter, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing that we've ever done or will ever do will separate us from Christ. And we need to understand we just need to run to God and ask God to forgive us of that and then pick it up and say, oh, let's go. I'm going on. It's over with. That's tomorrow. When we punch the clock on that sin, it's over. And the time cards have already been sent in <laughs> for that day. You can't get a time card back once you send it in. Well, once we've confessed something to God, we don't get it back. It's gone. And we need to quit reminding God of our sin. We spend so much time reminding God of our sin, and he keeps saying, I don't remember them. We need to let them be gone. Let them be cast in the seal of, seal, sea of forgetfulness. And get them there. Now, Paul didn't then begin with, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He didn't begin there. 
He began with, there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where he began. He began there before he got to the other stuff. And then he talked about his battle with sin. He talked about everything that was going on in his life. And then, he says, in spite of all these things, in spite of all this in my life, there's no condemnation. And I am going to live without condemnation in my life because God's provided it. And I don't have to. The good news is God provided a way for us in Christ. The bad news for those that don't want to come to the light, they're condemned. Because they, don't want, they want to live in their sin. They, they want to keep their sins. They, they, they pet them. They feed those sins. They do everything they want in those lives, in that life. And that's their condemnation. They've chosen that. But we, who are in Christ Jesus, he provided a plan. It's God's will that everybody be saved. God would love that everybody would be saved. But unfortunately, we have to acknowledge our sin in order to come to Christ. We have to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. That there's another God besides the one that is in, lives in here. <laughs> and we've got to give up the throne of our heart to the throne on high. To let the only God in the world rule our lives. And that's, that's what we have to do. And when we do that, then it, there's no condemnation. We're not condemned. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Will we turn our life over to Christ? Or we will continue to live under condemnation. The choice is ours. Heads bowed, eyes closed. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning and you've been condemning yourself for a lot of things that's been going on in your life. And you realize this morning that, hey, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I've asked God to forgive me. And I'm going to quit condemning myself because God doesn't want me to. If that's you this morning and God spoke to you this morning about that, let me see your hand. Maybe you're here this morning and you never even accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe that's you this morning. And you know that now you're condemned because you haven't come to the light. And this morning you want to come to the light and you want to acknowledge Christ and you want to accept him as your personal Savior. Is there someone here this morning that would, would say that with an, with an uplifted hand saying, I want to be saved this morning. I want to come to the light. Is there anyone here this morning? Okay, let's pray. Our price, Heavenly Father.